Shots. Episode 162. The one where we're all hopped up on chocolate bunnies and the resurrection. The Theonauts Podcast. Christian news from around the globe. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. It is the glory of God to conceal a thing, but the honor of kings is to search out a matter. Explore the vast reaches of God's Word. Hello, all you Theo Resurrectees. I'm David Gaddy. I'm Jeremiah Orr. Together we are... The, the Theonauts! Happy Resurrection Day, David. Happy Resurrection Day plus one. Plus one. That's right. It's Monday, the yes. day after Resurrection Day. Yes. Dude, we are like... Woo! On cloud nine, right? <laughs> <laughs> Coming down from a spiritual, physical, and emotional high. Yeah, it's not a chocolate high. No. It was it was it's just a it's a awesome, wonderful high that we had this weekend. We left on Thursday. He we- called my name <laughs> and I ran out, out of that grave. Woo! Okay. So anyways, we went Thursday. <laughs> And we went to Broken Bow with our families in our church, in yes, our church family. Yes, yes. And we worshiped the risen Savior all weekend long and had Brother Mike Mahoney yes. bring the the word. And uh, it's just an awesome time of worship. Yeah. And hanging did out. Did the Passover. Yes, we did the Passover did the Seder. the full 16-step Seder. That's right. And then uh, I had a student come in this morning and bring me a Haggadah. And really? Like, yeah. And I'm like, that's cool, man. Awesome. I'm like, so neat. And he's like, I really don't know what this is, but you, you <laughs> thought you might like it. That's what he sounds like, too. JT, you know. Yeah. I love that kid. And uh, where did he get a Haggadah? I don't. I don't even know. I didn't think to ask him, but he brought in a <laughs> Haggadah. Wow. And he set it on my table, and he's like, "Here, this for you." I'm like, "Thanks, man." <laughs> Pretty cool. We might. We might could use it. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe we'll next year. Check it out next year. I want to. I want to change up our Haggadah anyway. Yeah. Because well, I use the same one I used last year. You didn't. Put in the egg this year. I thought you were going to put in the egg. Well, um, yeah, we didn't have the egg in it when I did it last year. Right. Um, and then I just I ran out of time. Sure. Melanie had mentioned wanting to put it back in, and I was like, oh, okay, well, we can do that. And then I just forgot about it. Yeah. Only only a million other things to yeah. do to get ready for that whole thing. Well, I got a, a couple ideas for next year, too. Yeah. Number one is let's squelch the Welches. Yes, <laughs> I'm down. We may have to have a disclaimer for the youths. Yeah, we might. Well, we can bring Welch, <laughs> but it'd be good. Because you know, it, I feel like it should be more traditional. Yeah, just personally. Anyways, yeah. and then, oh, we had a really cool sunrise service. Oh, that was my favorite part. On Saturday, that yeah. was oh, just flat out amazing. Yeah, um, it was a little chilly, but. It, I liked that. I thought it was really awesome. I just I love the passages you chose to read. I loved the Song of Songs and and uh, dude, I'm telling you, since I've been reading this Passion Translation, Song of Songs, it is the best book in the Bible. <laughs> I swear, it wow! Is, it, it it chapter eight is the best chapter in the Bible. Wow! I, and I I'm standing on that. <laughs> 
Like all the way. You know, that's a big deal because you usually don't speak in, uh, you know, ultimates or, you know. Yeah, imperial language. Imperial language. But I'm telling you, it, 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 it is the consummation of our relationship with Jesus. Mm. Like everyone thinks that it's this, uh, I don't know, Christian erotica or whatever, <laughs> husband. Or, or at the very, at the most staunchest, it's a good study guide for married couples. <laughs> BS. No, that's not what that book is. That's not what it is. It, I mean, it is our love story with Jesus. Mm. And what I love about this translation is they take all... There's a lot of antiquated terms mm-hmm. because it meant something to the Jews sure. that it doesn't mean to us. All the talk of pomegranates right. and sheep and, and, you know... The Towers of Lebanon. Right, right. Stuff like that. And what this translator did is he took what those things meant to them, mm-hmm. and he used that language to basically put it in terms we would comprehend, understand, yeah. and because the whole point of this passion translation is to help you receive the passion that it was written with, mm. and that book was written with some passion, right? <laughs> well, yeah, and uh, the the very first verse of the Song of Songs. <laughs> says, this is the Song of Solomon, the greatest song ever written. <laughs> and I believe it. <laughs> yeah, most definitely. That's great. So anyway, we digress. But it, but it may it was perfect for... Maybe we ought to do a Song of Songs. Uh, that would be cool. Theonauts. I actually thought about uh, doing a read-through yeah. of the Passion Translation of it. But it, what would really be cool is I got to find a, a, a good... A woman voice who was willing to do this on the Theonauts, that would be awesome, right? Because it's a it's a conversation, right, between a husband or a king and his, his bride, yep. and um, and so that would be so cool to do as a conversation back and forth. And sure, we need to figure that out. That that pretty awesome. That would be awesome. So anyway, anything else <sighs> about the weekend? I. Uh, worship was great on Sunday, and uh, that's the reason we're doing the same sermon today that you're going to deliver. Because, I, you know, it's just it spoke to seeing and believing, mm. which are so important, you know, and uh, and then developing a passion for that belief. And so, uh, worship was just wonderful. And then going home and unwinding and I just want to do the whole weekend over again. I really wish we had a time machine. Yeah. But uh we'll have to wait till next year. <laughs> but you know what? We can celebrate the resurrection every I like day, what, right? What you said yesterday is, is like uh that you were coming down from that camp high and you like you haven't had since, since high school. Summer. Seriously. <laughs> I remember going to Super Summer and coming down and just laying in my bed all day long going, Oh my friends and all my worship and <laughs> That's exactly what I was thinking last night, getting into bed. I crawled into bed at 9.30, which I never do. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. I'm ready, you know, just in the day because it's so sad. (laughs) But next year, (laughs) we have next year. Yes. And, uh, man, why not just keep it rolling? That's right. Amen. I'd stay on a spiritual high. Let's do it. Yeah. So we'll start with the Theonauts. Yeah. Let's do it. All right. Let's jump into this. All 
All righty then. <laughs> We're going to be talking about some resurrection. Amen, man. So um, the, the thought behind the study here was actually pretty simple. Because um, as I was saying yesterday in the, in the sermon, whenever you're doing an Easter morning sermon, there's all this pressure to make it different or make it memorable. Yeah, anybody or, that's out there that's been a been a preacher or ever had to preach an Easter service, you can you can relate to this. It is there is so much pressure on Easter Sunday. It's like it's like the big game. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, it's like the Super Bowl. It's like the Super Bowl. So people who don't come to church all the time show up. Exactly. And it's <laughs> and it's the one sermon they've heard over and over and over again, right? Because they're showing up the same time every year. So they yeah. hear this resurrection sermon. And how do you put it in a way, in a you know, a unique, special Fancy way, and so you have all these different, you know, when you're a pastor, you can sit there and just stare at your paper for an hour going, what am I going to say to these people? You yeah. know what I mean? How am I going to put this differently? It, it, and, and it's like, it's impossible to always up your game from the previous one oh, or sure. whatever. And, you know, as I was thinking about this, I was like, for crying out loud, why do we do this? Like this has been <laughs> this has been preached for two thousand years. We're not going to. I mean, it doesn't have to be something. Let the story be what it the is. Story, yeah. which is powerful, yes. in and of itself. And so, uh, in essence, this study is just an um, an expositional study of the first eighteen verses of John twenty. Yes, um, and. But the one thing that I was looking at whenever I was diving into this and looking at it was that uh, the people that were experiencing it see it like in from different perspectives. Sure. And that's what uh, I thought was really cool is because we all do that. Like we, there are different personalities, there's di- different walks of life. We all experience Jesus in a different way. And um, he speaks to us where we are and where our strengths lie or where we tend to find him. Right. And a lot of times, I mean, we read all this, these passages and it's like, um, you know, just a cursory reading. We read through it, we get the story, we get mm-hmm. the service level, but we don't stop and think about it from, from the aspect of, think about what he's really saying. Think about what they're thinking. Like, what are these people thinking Right. Uh, during this time? Um, so why don't we just start by reading the passage? Okay. If you want to do that. <clears throat> well, so we're in John chapter 20. Yes, and I'm going to read it from the Passion Translation, uh, just because we're, you know, promoting this so heavily. Maybe the <laughs> dude that wrote it can, you know, come on Theonauts and explain some yeah. things. We well, gotta... I mean, I do have to admit, I mean, I like the guy that wrote it. Yes. Um, or that translated it. Um, he has got some really cool insight. Like, yeah. He, he is a, he's a really good linguist. He understands these languages inside and out. And the the note the footnotes oh yeah are set it off amazing really, yeah um, however if you watch a lot of him I mean if you start checking him out you find out he's he's a little I mean he's a charismatic and I mean he is full blown he is out there like a lot of this he I mean he he like claims divine um, wow communication and I mean all kinds of stuff. So I don't always buy into everything yeah. that 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 he says, but there's still a lot of really good knowledge and a lot of 
of really cool stuff that I do believe the Holy Spirit's working in. Wow. And and just the the way this thing's worded in and of itself sure. lights it on fire for you. Yeah. So All right, here we go. <clears throat> Chapter 20. Very early Sunday morning before sunrise, Mary Magdalene made her way to the tomb. When she arrived, she discovered that the stone that sealed the entrance to the tomb was moved away. So she went running as fast as she could go to tell Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. She told them, they've taken the Lord's body from the tomb, and we don't know where where he is. Then Then Peter and the other disciple jumped up and ran to the tomb to go see for themselves. They started out together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. (laughs) He didn't enter the tomb, but peeked in and saw only the linen clothes lying there. Then Peter came behind him and went right into the tomb. He too noticed the linen clothes lying there, but the burial cloth that had been on Jesus' head had been rolled up and placed separate separate from the other cloths. Then the other disciple, whom had reached the tomb first, went in. And after one look, he believed. For until then, they hadn't understood the scriptures that prophesied that he was destined to rise from the dead. Puzzled, Peter and the other disciple then left and went back to their homes. Mary arrived back at the tomb, broken and sobbing. She stooped to peer inside, and through her tears, she saw two angels in dazzling white robes sitting where Jesus' body had been laid, one at the head and one at the feet. Dear woman, why are you crying? They asked. Mary answered, They've taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they've laid him. Then she turned around to leave, and there was Jesus standing in front of her, but but she didn't realize that it was him. He said to her, Dear woman, why are you crying? What are you looking for? Mary answered, thinking he was only the gardener. Sir, if you have taken the body somewhere else, tell me, and I will go and marry, Jesus interrupted her. Turning to face him, she said, Rabboni, Aramaic for my teacher. Jesus cautioned her, Mary, don't hold on to me now, for I haven't yet ascended to God, my father, and he's not only my father and God, but now he's your father and your God. Now go to my brothers and tell them what I've told you that I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and to your God. Then Mary Magdalene left to inform the disciples of her encounter with Jesus. I have seen the Lord, she said, and she told them, and she gave them his message. Okay, so we've got some some people involved here that that witnessed the empty tomb. Mm-hmm. Um, so first off, let's talk about um, Mary herself, because she's the first one mentioned, so she shows up at this tomb. And um, she so she sh- shows up here uh, with this intention of um, I don't know mourning or whatever. She finds the tomb open, right? And she is um, like shocked because the tomb is empty, right? Upset, she runs back to tell the disciples. And um, so, if we're thinking about it from their perspective, you know. If they knew, if they they know Mary, and she comes hysterically to them, and is freaking out, and saying, "Hey, the tomb is empty. Jesus isn't there," um, I'm sure that they weren't all that receptive at first. You know, I mean, it's like, okay, this is Mary. She's tends to get this way, right? <laughs> you know, or whatever. But um, <clears throat> but we'll start to see something about them here. It's it's like, um. 
it's like whenever you are given an opportunity that there's that there's something up or that there's something going on or that there might be an, an opportunity for um, some information, even if it's something that doesn't sound believable, hmm. you're still gonna go check it out. Like you're still gonna go, you know, right. Like like I was I was saying yesterday, but my uh, my mom and dad, you know, growing up was every now and then they'd take off and go to these uh, timeshare. <laughs> these, these vacation timeshare yes. uh, properties where they view them. So, you know, you probably have no experience with this, but back in the 70s, we would get these things in the mail. Actually, I do have some experience. Really? Yeah. Awesome. Whenever uh, Christina and I first got married, um, we went back to Reno, and they were doing a uh, – one of these timeshare things, right? Yeah. It went a free trip to the Bahamas or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And so it was it was for pots and pans. And so we went. And in Reno, they do this stuff all the time at the big hotels and the yeah, casinos. Yeah, And uh, so we went and we're, you know, I was just interested in getting a free three-day, you know, two-night <laughs> yeah. uh, vacation. And so we got there and we got sold on pots and pans we bought 150 dollars worth of pots and pans right so i you know i totally got that illustration yeah totally yeah. makes sense yeah so it, the way it would always used to work is we would get this thing in the mail I, I haven't gotten anything like this in years so i i don't even know if they do it this way anymore but um but you know we would get these these things in the mail and it would be like hey come out to you know uh lake palestine or whatever and check out this these lakeside properties for timeshare. And if you come, you'll be uh, the possibility of winning either, you know, it was a big trip right. or it was a car. car. It was yeah. always some big prize, you know, sure. that you could, you could come back with. And um, and then there was all these small prizes. As right. Well. And um, so it was funny. My mom and dad would always go to these things. And... <laughs> I don't ever really remember going. They would like leave us <laughs> with people and go on these these excursions to check out the timeshare, and they'd come back with you know pots and pans, sure, cutlery, whatever. Um, in fact, my very first video game came from one of these things. You're kidding me, Pong. The, no yes, way. The the telegames. Yeah, thing you plug into your TV, Pong. Uh, that came, they got one of those at the wow. timeshare, but they never won the car. Sure, and I guess what the the never. The, the, the thing <laughs> was, you know, you might you, you pretty much know you're not going to get the car, right? But you go anyway. Like, sure, like, <laughs> sure, absolutely. Like, like you can at least go check it out. <laughs> and, and at least that was my mom and dad's mentality. So um, that's kind of what I what I kind of envisioned the the disciples doing at this. Moment, it's like, oh, okay, Mary. Uh, <laughs> yeah, seriously. But, but if there's something to this, let's go check it out. Let's go. And so right. they, they run to the to the grave and or to the tomb, and they they find it in this condition. So um, I was thinking about this also in terms of since we're looking at it from the disciples' standpoint, we're looking at it from from um, Peter and the other disciple John, uh, looking at it from their their view, or looking at it from Mary's view. Um, and I kind of thinking about how they both react differently. Like the guys react differently than she does. And it made me really stop th- start to think about, um, about faith itself 
and how our faith is uh, built. Okay, you know, and how it, how it's structured. So, um, and a, and a good analogy of this is basically in my own life. Whenever I've preached sermons for years and years and years and years, and every one of them falls into one of two categories. They're either <clears throat> highly theological, scientific studies, and, and deep, you know, right. um, analysis. Yeah. Or they are just all about love, grace, faith, passion. Sure. You know, and, and uh, more of a passionate sermon. So there's these two types of... And I got thinking how faith works the same way. There's two sides of faith. There is a rational side of faith, and but then on the the flip side, there is this emotional, uh, experiential, um, encountering God type of right. faith, where you see His love, you see His grace, and those things like when they come together, that's when faith is like amazing, sure, because you've rationalized it and you felt it, mm. and. Um, and so I thought that's really cool because we kind of see this happening in these guys and in her, in Mary. We we see them looking at it differently. The guys look at it very rationally. Right. Um, and, you know, I think all faith has to have a level of this. I mean, you can... People think that Christians just blindly believe this without ever questioning it. <laughs> um yeah, that's not the case at all. But no, I mean, and in fact, if you are in that camp and you are just believing it without, you know, testing it at all, then at some point something's going to happen in your life and you're going to really start doubting. Right. And um and so there has to be this rational side to it. And most most very strong devout Christians have gone through a level of questioning, doubting and finding answers and digging. And so um, we can see that in these guys. Sure. Their faith was not all that strong, as exemplified all throughout the uh, their walk with Jesus. Jesus is constantly saying what? You have a little faith. <laughs> you have a little faith. At one point, he says, how long must I endure this generation? Right. <laughs> like, you know, and <laughs> and I think Peter exemplifies this more than any, any of the other disciples. <clears throat> Maybe Thomas, I guess, a little bit. Yeah. But Peter... He always has this jump out head start with faith, mm-hmm. and then ready al- fire aim exactly, yeah. and and then always comes up short. Yeah, and always screws it up. Uh, and I, I don't know if he doubts more, but he's more vocal about it. Yeah, like you know, I think that that's that's the good thing about Peter is that he was you know shooting off his mouth, right? And he and we get to know Peter's thoughts, you know, right? <laughs> Whereas we don't know what Bartholomew thought exactly. <laughs> But but we certainly know what Peter was thinking. Sure. Um, so so if we look at at uh, as the, as they come, okay, they, they run to the tomb, and uh, I want to look at how this is worded because there is some interesting things that are happening in the phrases that we see, and we see that that these guys aren't just um, they're not just having this cursory glance into into they they do their own little investigation right of sorts this is like a crime scene investigation sure. scene so um so you see uh Peter and the other disciple they they show up and it says um 
let's see. I'm I'm back in the ESV. Okay. Uh, and it says, um, and verse five, and stooping in, he saw, he's talking about the, the other disciple, John. Stooping in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he didn't go in. Now the word saw un, in, in the Greek, the, the the original language that this was written in, the word is blepo. And so blepo means basically what it sounds like on the surface, uh, to look, to see, to, you know, to observe something. Okay. And so this is pretty straightforward. He says, he looked in, he laid eyes on the linen cloths, and then he ducked Ducked out. out. So not much to that. Um, And then it said, uh, then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb, and he saw the linen cloths lying there, the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Mm. So there's more detail. There's more detail in what Peter saw. Right. And this word that it says, uh, he went into the tomb, he saw the linen cloths. That's not blepo. The the word saw there comes from the Greek word theoreo, uh, which is the word that where we get theorize, mm-hmm. theory. It's a... It's an investigative look into it. Sure. Type of like, let me look into it. Uh, so it's still, you know, from an English standpoint, saw works, uh, but it is a more of a detailed examination. Right. So a crime we, scene. In the yes. So if he starts to look and he's noticing this, not just cloths lying here, there is there is something going on. For one, you've got these, this cloth lying here. You got one of them folded up. Right, like next to the other one, uh, the the part that covered Jesus's face, and you had to start thinking. Okay, if you were in his shoes, what are you thinking? Like um, he's the, trying to figure out what happened. Right, the wheels are turning. He's trying to solve the mystery. I mean, this is a great mystery. Yes. So, what are the possibilities here? Um, well, gra- grave robbers. Right. Well, would grave robbers just steal a naked body? Yeah. Would the grave robbers take the body? And leave the myrrh and the anything of value there, like, <laughs> and I don't know how much value would be in the linen cloths, but would they bother unwrapping the body and folding the face? No, yeah, you know, I mean it was like that doesn't make any sense. No. What about? Okay, did disciples do this in order to make it look like Jesus was resurrected? Hmm. You know, um, probably not. Because that would have meant they would have had to have unwrapped Jesus' body and basically defiled it, carried it away naked, which would have been shameful to them. Plus, they're touching a dead body, which makes them unclean. Unclean. Uh Um, Probably not what... Same thing with the Sanhedrin or the, you know... Yeah. They have no reason to do it. In fact, they wanted it sealed shut. Yeah. Yeah, they they wanted to make sure this didn't happen. I mean, they they set a guard in front of the thing. Exactly. And sealed it so that it it could not be um, moved or opened. And yet, here they are trying to figure out what happened. Now, what I think is really kind of cool is the, the, the Jewish leaders knew Jesus talked about Resurrecting. Resurrecting in some way, coming back in three days. And that's why they set the guard. Right. But yet this, these disciples aren't thinking this. Right. That's interesting. Yeah. So, um, and we'll get to more on that in a minute when we get to Mary. But here they are 
trying to figure out what's happening. They're doing some investigation. Um, then it says that the other disciple goes back in after this. And, and it says, then the other disciple who had reached the turn first also went in and he saw and believed. Now the word saw there is Edo, which is different than the other two. And it basically means like, aha, like right. I understand. I comprehend. I comprehend this. Yes. I see. <laughs> so um, uh, it's like the game is afoot. Right. Aha! <laughs> You're right. There's something going on here. This isn't just the work of get grave robbers. There's something afoot. Right. Um, now, whether he believed, as in believed that Jesus rose, yeah, or believed, as in believed Mary was telling the truth, that's a question, right? Yes. And and I don't know if we have a firm answer of what belief we're talking about here. Sure. I think the. I tend to think this simply means um, he believed something was happening askew. Like this was not a normal thing. Right. Um, because of what we get later, Jesus surprises them and sure. and, and all this sort of thing. And even the, the guys on the road to Emmaus are discussing and going, and the grave was empty. You know what I mean? Right. So, the, um, <laughs> so <laughs> it's like no one really gets it, No, gets resurrection yet. Like sure. it's not like, coming into their heads. Uh, but they go away. It says puzzled in the Passion Translation there. Right. Um, and it says, for they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Mm. Uh, and then the disciples went back to their homes. So I guess what I wanted to focus on on their point here is that they're doing investigation. They're they're trying to figure all this out. And where whatever it was that the, the, the other disciple believed, maybe this is... You know, John, if if the, the, the disciple that Jesus loved is John, and John is the writer of this letter... <laughs> I love that you have to fit in this. There um, are some theories. <laughs> but, okay, <laughs> one of the things that, that has always gone into that theory for me, though, is that John sounds pretty full of himself, you know? Sure. If, if this is... But the other passages, you know, don't really make him that... But uh, hold on, time way. out. But... It does, but I mean, even if it wasn't John, if it was somebody else, it would still be full of himself. True, but what I'm saying is the other gospels that that talk about John, John is a is a lot different than that. Right? Okay. Well, he's a know. son of thunder. He is a th- son of thunder. But anyway, <laughs> sidetrack. We're we're gonna go with John. Yeah. Okay, so not Lazarus. <laughs> John. <laughs> yeah. Spoiler. Go listen to another one of our shows. Um, so uh, so anyway, so John is is basically saying uh, if he is in this whole, hey, I'm the guy that Jesus loved, uh, <laughs> I believed, I saw it, I got it. You know that may be what he's saying here. I don't know. <laughs> he but, might be. That's funny. <laughs> but okay, so but but the thing that I think is cool is that faith is more powerful when there is scrutiny. That you've put upon it. Sure. Right? Like, if you go, and this is a, something that we've talked about on the show before, but um, the enemy of faith is not knowledge. Like, people treat it that way. People treat it like, well, I don't need proof that, you know, the Bible was written by, I have faith, you know. Okay, 
knowledge is not the enemy of your faith. That's absolutely right. Doubt is the enemy right. of your faith. So um, actually, knowledge enhances faith. Or so, it should. Yeah, and so when you find something that is affirmed, even outside of Scripture, of something that you have believed through Scripture, dude, it makes it solidifies. Oh, yeah. It makes it powerful. So um, the the thing that is interesting here is these guys just didn't go immediately and believe they did some investigation before it says, and then he believed. So uh, we should do the same thing. Right. And um, you can do the same thing on the resurrection because I guess we we can talk, we can call this episode believing in the resurrection. Like this is about having faith in in the resurrection. And you can do the exact same thing they did. I mean, not looking in the tomb and doing your own CSI type of thing, but you can still do investigative research into why people believe in the resurrection. Well, yeah, a great. The prime example is Lee Strobel. If you look at his mm. investigative research, this guy was an investigative journalist. Yeah. And his whole thing, his wife became a Christian. And so he thought to himself, well, uh, he was never a believer and he was very much affirmed atheism because He's a natural-born skeptic, and all natural-born skeptics, they're not going to believe somebody rose from the dead. Right. So what does he do? He sets out to prove his wife wrong by doing what he does best, which is investigating and researching. And he he comes to the understanding that it had to have been a resurrection. Yeah, yeah. And it changes his life. Yeah, and, and I mean, there's so many things. Like um, uh, one of them that I found interesting here was um, – one of the very first um, criticisms, written criticisms of Christianity. Yes. In fact, it possibly is the first critis- written criticism of Christianity. Like 70, right? Yes. Was, um, no, it was... 50 earlier? No, it was second century. Oh, okay. 240-something. Uh, oh, wow. Okay. So um, a guy by the name of Celsus um, was a proclaimed, uh, um, he was a philosopher. He was a Greek philosopher mm-hmm. and he um, he opposed Christianity and he wrote this thesis called um, the On the True Doctrine and um, it's since been destroyed. We have no copies of it left uh, <laughs> because the, the, the Holy Church made sure that this oh, thing yeah, didn't definitely. survive. Um, but before that happened, it was um, there, there was another writing by Origen, Origen, okay, that was uh, made to critique it, like that was the whole point. It was a uh, a counter argument, and he quotes it like all throughout. We have a, most of what we have about it comes from Origen quoting it, right? Um, so anyway, one of the big things that Celsus does in his criticism of Christianity not being real is he says the resurrection couldn't have happened, and the reason why is because the only witnesses to the resurrection itself or to the first, the re, the empty tomb was Mary. Right. And that, or she's the one who saw the resurrected Jesus, et cetera, et cetera. And the other uh, women and the testimony of women holds no, has holds no value. Validity. Yeah. Right. Right. So that's what he, his whole argument, this is second century. Remember it's still misogynistic. Sure. Very uh, different culture. And he's basically saying, yep, yeah, because of this, you can't believe this. Are you gonna? Are you gonna put your faith in the word of these mon- a woman? These, yeah, these hysterical women. No, like, come on, men, man up. 
<laughs> believe you know so anyway what's the matter with you man can't believe a woman yeah unbelievable <laughs> <laughs> but the cool thing about this is like if we're doing our own scrutiny here we are 2000 years later and celsus's argument actually is good for Christianity. It's counterintuitive. Right, because right. if we we think back now and go, <clears throat> okay, what would be the worst thing to do if I'm trying to fool the world into believing the resurrection? <laughs> Have a non-credible witness. Yes, put women in the vault. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, that would be the stupidest thing in the world. If I'm trying to make everybody believe this, why would I choose women as my witnesses right. while I'm writing it? And so... That is one type of scrutiny. That's a sure. rational way we can look at the resurrection and go, resurrection has uh, validity because of that. Right. And there's all kinds of other things. People died for this. Why would they die for a lie? Uh, I mean, we can just go through the exactly. list. There are tons of things. First uh, Corinthians 15, John says that hundreds of people saw Jesus. Right. And John wrote this like 20 years after... The, the resurrection and he's saying in the last part of first Corinthians 15 he was like Jesus died buried was resurrected on the third day and then appeared before the disciples and many others and he goes on it says at one point he showed himself to 500 people at one right. point and so even though we don't have that event recorded Paul obviously stated it like it was a known thing and his his point was if you don't believe somebody if you don't believe me ask somebody ask yeah there's, there's still a life. Right. There's still witnesses who saw Jesus in resurrected form, exactly. walking about. Go ask them. In other words, do some scrutiny. Yeah. Be rational about this if you want. Search it out. And yeah. And look at what he says in Acts 17, verse 11. He's talking about the Bereans. He was like, these guys were noble. Why? Because they didn't take what we said at face value, like the, the what was it, the Thessalonians. He was like, they just... They they searched to see see if it was true if what we were saying was true, so uh, that's one side of the faith. But let's look at Mary, yes, because um, this brings up a whole other thing. Because you can be as rational as anything. I mean, you can be like a theologian. You can you can you can dive into all the book research you want and dive into history, read all these accounts, and et cetera, et cetera. And still not walk away with a true faith. Right. Um, but there's no accounting for experience. Yeah. When you have that moment when the Holy Spirit touches you and something happens that you cannot explain, there is a moment where it's like, if I take that and all the rational things I've been thinking about and they come together, all of a sudden... There's a faith that can't be broken. Right. And, I mean, you'll hear people say things like, I don't care what you say. You can't tell me that didn't happen. Because I experienced it. I saw it. I've, I've heard wacky stories from Christians that I have a hard time believing. But, man, they, they believe it. Right. And, I, and there's nothing I could say that would ever take that story away, away. from them. Yeah. Because they experienced it. Yeah. And so, me as a more mature Christian than I used to be whenever I would hear those things and be all skeptical or skeptical, skeptical. That's a great word. Yes. Whenever I would be very skeptical of what they were saying. Now I'm like, mm, I ain't crossing anything off my list. Right. <laughs> you know, if, if Jesus did that, it could have happened. Yeah. Okay. I'm good with it. 
praise Jesus. <laughs> so um, I guess this is an enlightenment side of faith. Sure. And so I'm glad Mary is here. I'm so happy that she's the one. That Jesus reveals himself that to That he you. reveals himself to her. It's such a beautiful picture mm. oh, of simple faith and simple love. Yeah. So first, let's talk about the grace involved, the mercy involved in in Jesus coming to her in this way. So if we go back to verse 11, it says, Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look in the tomb and saw the two angels in white sitting at the body, where the body of Jesus had lain. Uh, they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said, they've taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they have laid him. So the thing that I wanted to bring up first was, did she come to this tomb looking for resurrected Jesus? Absolutely not. No. She wasn't expecting that. No. And when she found the tomb empty. No one expects the resurrection. (laughs) (laughs) Monty Python's coming to Netflix. (laughs) Sorry, anyways. Go ahead. (laughs) Didn't mean to derail you. Okay. So uh, she she was not expecting the risen... Jesus. Yes, that's right. She's expecting to find a dead guy. Yeah. Like that. And even when the tomb was open and empty, her thoughts didn't go to, yes, he's risen. (laughs) That's not what she thought. She thought someone stole the body. Like she's still looking for a dead guy. Yeah. And even seeing Angels. angels. Yeah, that always has blown me away. She turns around and she's still mourning even after she sees angels telling telling her it's okay. Yeah, they're like, what are you looking for? Yeah. I'm looking for the body. What do you think I'm looking for? And oh, man. So, um, so I find it interesting here. If you look at what Jesus says to her, she, she turns and says, uh, she turned and around and saw Jesus standing, but she didn't know it was Jesus. Right. Now, there's all kinds of theories as to why she couldn't tell that it was him. Um, there is the whole, well, his face was marred from the crucifixion and his resurrected body still had the scars. I mean, th- there's all kinds of stuff. Or he was supernaturally um, veiled mm-hmm. so that she couldn't tell it was him. We have a Theonauts on it. You can go back. I bet it's last year. Yes, it was. Where we had Mike Mahoney Mike come talked and- about it. Uh, the idea that he was the high priest mm-hmm. and he was dressed as a high priest at that point, which was similar to a which gardener. is similar to a gardener, mm-hmm. and that might have been why that she uh, confused yeah. him. And that's a brilliant idea. So you, we can do rational study and All very right. deep theology yes. on this, but what we want to do is we want to just go with it. Yes. Okay. She can't tell. Yeah. Deal with it. That's where we're at. You know what I like to picture. And this is, I don't know, it's not rational or anything, but I like to picture her so deep and distraught. That, you know when you're crying so hard that everything's just blurry? Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You just, you can't even think, and you're looking, and you can't see. You have to pull over to the side of the road, you know, because yeah. you're weeping. That's that's what I picture when I imagine her looking at Jesus for the first and that's, time. And that could be very, very much what was happening. Right. Um, I tend to think based on... On what happens here, I really think this was his intention. Yeah, that she not know. Him. Sure, absolutely. Because um, he, because it's almost like he's playing with her a little bit. Yeah, and and so because <laughs> it says Jesus said to her, "Woman." Okay, so first off, he doesn't call her by name. Uh-uh. He addresses her formally. Right, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Um, now I think that question is very important. 
I think that question is 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 deep um, because mm. he's asking, mm. "Are you looking for a dead guy?" Right. Who who are you looking for? Yeah. You look you looking for a dead king to build a religion of works around, or you're looking for something else? Who are you seeking? We could we could compare this to isn't there another angel that says, "Why are you seeking the living among the dead?" Mm, yes, it's another another gospel uh, writing right. that that mentions that, and that's that's the idea. Is well, she he is, is not here? Exactly, he's risen. <laughs> and the idea is, she was coming looking for a dead Messiah, mm. and what she finds is something so much greater. Yeah, and so that's what he wants to impart to her. Who are you looking for? Yeah, she says, "Sir, if you have carried him away." <laughs> Tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. And I just find the grace in this. Jesus is not, he does not belittle her. He doesn't, he doesn't condemn her. Berate her. For having um, a a lack of faith. He he doesn't pull the whole, oh, ye of little faith (laughs) uh, statement on her. He doesn't like, uh, he handles her with such love and, and gentleness and it just it's it's mind blowing to know that you know Jesus comes after us like he pursues us and that's what he's doing here sure. she she came looking for a dead guy and that's not what he wanted her looking for like he's he is waiting until she until he comes to her right, right. and he does this um by when he reveals himself to her, right? But first off, let's also think about what he's about to do. Mm. He is about to choose her mm. to be the first gospel messenger ever. Amen. In the whole world. Right. The very first gospel messenger. And this is just mind-blowing. Mm. I mean, basically, not only because what we talked about Celsus's argument was, that's one reason why this is not a good idea, Jesus. Why are you picking a woman? It goes deeper than that. Who who is Mary? Well, we read we read about Mary Magdalene, and we've talked about her on our on a recent show when we were doing our top women right of the Bible, and we talked about who Mary was. She was a recovering demoniac, mm-hmm. right? I love that. <laughs> I've never heard that term used until you use it Sunday, demoniac. It's kind of cool. <laughs> so she's she had been possessed, yes, by demons, right? The demons have been cast out of her. Seven demons, right? Yeah. So, hmm. If we read about Legion, we read about how uh, these demoniacs acted. It was not a pretty thing. No, people would have known about this. Right. It didn't happen in secret. Mary would have been raving right, and crazy. A lunatic. Yes. So she's a recovering mental patient. So if you yeah, get that image in your head, a person who's been institutionalized, for, mm-hmm. for instance, yeah. for being insane. Yes. Right? Because she's, de- she's had demons in her. Mm. So how is, how is that a valid person? Yes. To, to have, have as a witness. So amazing! If like, you were to make a court, right? I'm going to call as my first witness, <laughs> right? You know, 
Wacky Joe from the mental institution. <laughs> Carl. Carl. <laughs> Carl Childers, would you please come to the stand? <laughs> yeah, they just released me from the mental institute. <laughs> they said I was well. <laughs> <laughs> French fried potatoes and biscuits and mustard. And I like mustard on them. Reagan ain't going to gas me. <laughs> <laughs> All right, anyway. So, yeah, there's not a lot of credibility no. that would come with that. Um, also, think about, you know, she. what was her pedigree? <laughs> Is she a religious person? Is she someone that, that the scholars would look to right. in any way? She's not educated. We don't see she's married. No. Um, and we, we, there's a lot of theories about her being a prostitute. Right. Um, and a lot of, of church history built around that. Whether um, you want to believe that or not, not, you know, there's, it's, it's skeptical at best, but I look at that not married thing mm-hmm. as kind of a big deal because Jewish women at this time, point in time, their whole status was on yes. being married and having babies. Right. That was, that was what they were meant to do in life, mm-hmm. period. And so here's Mary Magdalene following around a Messiah who's cast out seven demons from her, mm-hmm. not married, not having any babies. Right. So who is she? Very really? little worth. Exactly. And, you know, no real moral standards, apparently, but yeah. not, in, not in the view of the public. No, because she's hanging out with a bunch of dudes. Yeah. <laughs> so anybody here know Mary? <laughs> yeah. Who doesn't know Mary? <laughs> There's yeah. something about Mary. So the thing that I think is really cool is that she is the worst person in the world for the job. <laughs> like <laughs> Jesus chose the worst qualified individual. It's like hiring a five-year-old to do brain surgery here. To be the <laughs> first gospel messenger. Yeah. And so it's like... it. We, this doesn't fit any standards that we have at all. Like even today in our own Christianity, we think, oh, I'm not good enough. I'm not, I'm not clean enough. I, I'm not pure enough. I don't do enough good things. I don't, I'm not smart enough. I haven't studied my Bible enough. Mm. I, haven't, I haven't gone to seminary. I don't have I, a degree in Bible and Greek and Hebrew. Right. I don't understand seminary. Greek. I can't I ever be a pastor. That's, yeah, I could never teach this stuff. Yeah. Wrong. <laughs> like, in fact, you may be better at any of this than any of us who have been through any of that stuff. You might not be jaded. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> and so there's, there is a, a lot of cool... Here's the thing. It's about Jesus and not about her. That's right. And that is the thing that, that hit me whenever I was studying this and presenting it as a preacher who is trying to find the best Easter sermon ever. <laughs> Going, it ain't about me. Mm. This isn't about me. This is about him. And he is going to make it powerful. Real. Not me. Mm. I mean, and same way, Mary doesn't matter ultimately because he's the message. Mm. And and so I love the message of this is basically Jesus saying, I save people. I don't save people based on pedigree, mm. on, on status, on moral aptitude or uh, moral standing. I save people who know they're weak. Yes. And, th- and that is a huge message that all, all of us in church ministry and everything, we need to take this to heart. Like Jesus comes for the sick, 
Like he, he that when he asked, why are you hanging out with prostitutes and publicans? His response was, well, people that are well don't need a doctor. Mm. Well, were the people <laughs> in the synagogues really well? No, but they sure thought they were. That's right. And so and so this is there's there is a message here in why he chose her, and I just think that's really cool. But then there is the method of how he reveals himself to her. So he doesn't just jump out and like, surprise, Mary. Hey, it's me. You know, which is kind of what we would probably do. Like, ha, fooled you. (laughs) (laughs) April Fool's. (laughs) Yeah, because it was April Fool's this year, wasn't it? So so, um, what I think is really cool here is that he calls her by name. He calls her name. So in other words, it in in he's not even just saying, Hey, it's me. He's saying, Hey, you. Like it's I'm talking to you, right, Mary. And he went from woman, why are you weeping? to Mary. Which is when someone who loves you calls your name, it's just different. Ugh. Like there's just that that thing there. Mm-hmm. And um, it's like at this point is when she recognizes him, and she uh, and she just basically breaks down and says, uh, uh, "Rabboni" uh, or "teacher." Uh, in other words, that's what that she saw him for who he was. Um, but I think that that the cool thing here about calling her by name is it, it gives her identity. Like that's fulfilling whenever something like this happens. Um, and we think about in today's society, how do, how do we get our identity? I mean, there's a lot of talk about finding yourself and go to college, do a little of this. You know, if you can't, if you can't figure out who you are, maybe go on a sabbatical, you know, go out there, do a vision quest, <laughs> find yourself. Uh, what, what are we expecting people to do? You know, to find yourself within and then assert it onto everybody else. Mm. Like, well, this is who I am. Deal with it. Mm. I mean, that's kind of what we teach in our modern society to do. You know, be your own person. Uh, find out who you are. And then go, you know, beat the world over the head with it. Uh, <laughs> and um, really, that's not what builds identity. What really builds identity, and people discover this even whenever they are out there, you know, being in the fringe, doing their own thing. Sooner or later, they group up with other people who are doing their own thing that's similar. Right. Uh, because we don't live in a bubble. Mm-hmm. We don't live unto ourselves. We are a social creature. And we have social needs. And we we need to be accepted. And that is where our identity is really found. It's when someone that you actually love loves you in return. Like when that validation happens, it makes you who you are. And so whether that be your wife or husband or um, father, mother, child, whatever, it's like you are really a father whenever your child loves you back, right? Or you're really a son when your dad, when you know your dad loves you. When like that, it's that. Oh, sure. Reciprocity of 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 love, right? That actually gives us our identity, 
and this is who I am. I'm a brother. I'm a, you know, I'm a, I'm a dad. Hmm. Um, your identity is built upon your embracing someone who loves you back. Right. And um, so that's what Jesus does for her. Like he, he gives her this loving call and calls her by name. And, um, and basically, in just that one word, Mary, what is he saying? He's saying, I love you passionately, expensively, and eternally. Like you are witnessing my love for this entire world. And what you're seeing right now, you, Mary, what you are seeing right now is my love for you coming alive. And it cost me the cross. And it's going to last us for eternity. Yes. And dude, that's so powerful. Like Peter and John are going away scribbling in their notebooks trying to figure out, <laughs> you know, trying to reason through all this. Mary is getting a totally different experience. Like she's hearing this loving king, like this risen, amazing form of God in front of her now. Like um, calling her name. Yes, calling her by name. Mm. And uh oh it's so so awesome. And then she does this whole thing where he does he says, Do not cling to me, for I've not yet ascended to <laughs> the Father. So much. We could die again, dive into and try <clears throat> to search out. Yeah. If you want a really de- uh in-depth study on it, check out last year's Easter. That's right. <laughs> Theonauts, because we did talk about that. Exactly. Um but once again, this year I want to just look at it simply. I want to look at it at face value and think, okay, maybe Jesus isn't being very deep and theological and giving us some mystery to solve. Maybe his statement about not clinging to me is simply this. You're not going to lose me. Like that's that's why she's clinging, is right. it not? I I came to this grave and I saw I saw your body gone. And I was afraid I'd lost you. I have lost you once, and I'm not losing you again. What do you do f- with the one that you love whenever tragedy strikes? You cling to them because you're afraid of yes. losing them. Yes. You know, or you, near-death experience with, with someone you love, and mm. th- they survive, and all of a sudden there's this renewed vigor for life, and it's like, I'm, I'm not going to let this happen again. Right. I'm, I'm not going to let you slip away out of my hands. And I think that's what's going on in Mary's mind. She's she's like, you're back. And you, I don't want you to leave again. And she like just wraps her arms around him. And his point is, you're not going to lose me. I'm here forever. Right. Like I'm ascending to my father and the spirit's going to come. But that just means you got a ticket with me for the rest of your life and yeah. eternity. Yeah. And uh, and that he, that we're gonna get to walk together <laughs> forever, so don't don't cling to me like you're gonna lose me, because that's not gonna happen. Right. And I, to me, th- this is kind of the passion of this whole resurrection story. Is it's the happy ending, yeah. like that he does love us passionately, expensively, and eternally, and we get an opportunity to. 
experience him the same way Mary is. All and the time. All the time. And I just think that that's beautiful. Amen. So believe in the resurrection. That's right. Go home, reason about it, put pen to paper, do a little study, do some history, whatever you need, but then find him. Yeah. Let him call you by name. Let him reach down and touch you in a way that is so experiential that you know no one can take that away from you. That's right. And never forget that you may feel completely ill-equipped, but you carry a message of a risen Savior, and that equips you. Yes. So the very last verse in this whole thing is that she went. Yes. She told the others. Yeah. Right? So go and tell others about the love you found. And you know, that whenever she did that, she didn't. I don't think she cared <laughs> whether or not they believed. Whether or not they believed her, she just. Had she to was tell just it. so happy about it. I'm That's sure. Right. She probably bounced into the room like a nut. Right. <laughs> That's awesome. Anyway, I love it. So, do you have some news for us? I do. And now the news. Give me one second. I have to pull it back up. Okay. Yeah. My bad. Uh, so Justin Bieber's been in the message again. Justin Bieber. Pop singer. Baby. Regular baby, Hillsong baby. attendee. Oh. 24-year-old Canadian Justin Bieber took, a social me- took to social media this weekend to share an Easter message with his 98 million followers. Easter. Bieber Easter, wrote a note Easter. to his fans oh. saying, Jesus has changed my life. Easter is not about a bunny. It's a reminder that my Jesus died on the cross and then rose from the dead. I believe this happened and it changes everything. So, you know, way to be like Mary Magdalene there, yeah. Justin Bieber. Pretty awesome dude. Yeah. And, uh, not, not your ordinary uh, gospel messenger. Exactly. But 98 million, I mean, God's using him. So mm-hmm. it's pretty awesome. Well, and it's kind of like the whole thing we talked about with the whole metal community. It's like yeah. there are people that could be reached by all these different methods. That's right. And if people can can find Jesus through Justin Bieber, and God bless him. Exactly. All right. Uh, NPR has accidentally caused a theological controversy on Good Friday with the story of Holy Week. Did you hear about this <laughs> no. at all? In a Good Friday article NPR. about Holy Week, NPR inaccurately described Easter as the day celebrating the idea that Jesus did not die and go to hell or purgatory or anywhere like that, but rather arose into heaven is on Sunday. Aside from being an indecipherable word salad of a sentence, it's wrong. <laughs> Easter, obviously, is about the resurrection. NPR <laughs> issued a correction Oops. saying Easter, the day Christians celebrate Jesus' resurrection, is on Sunday. But many saw it as too little too late. Many Christians saw the article as fuel for the narrative uh, that the media is biased against them, but others took issue with the idea that Jesus didn't go to hell after his death. What do you think about that? Do you agree with the Apostles' Creed? Was crucified, dead, buried. He descended into hell. Many scholars, however, the word "hell" depends on what you mean. Right? Hades, yes. Hell refers not to the uh, Gomorrah-like place of damnation, rather a place of the dead, un- uh, disco- underscoring the reality of Jesus' real death on the cross. So, there's a lot of debate about that. By the way, and that'd be an interesting, oh yeah, study too. Maybe we'll talk about it sometime. Yeah. Hawaii could become the next state to legalize physician-assisted suicide. 
On Thursday, the Hawaii State Senate passed a bill that would legalize uh, physician-assisted suicide. The bill allows mentally competent patients with less than six months to live to get prescription drugs that would speed up the dying process as long as two do- doctors agreed the, uh, the uh, patient qual- agreed that the patient qualifies. Qualifies to die. Mm-hmm. Okay. Unless the state governor vetoes the bill, it is slated to become official on April 17th. If the bill passes, Hawaii will become the seventh state to enact the legislation for physically assisted suicide, along with California, Colorado, Montana, Oregon, Vermont, and Washington. In other words, along with all the Democratic states. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, T.D. Jakes issues an apology after a volunteer was handcuffed at a service. Mm, Nice. This is great. (laughs) This sounds good. Potter's House. Have you ever seen Potter's House? Uh, It's gigantic. It's right beside DBU. Really, no, We drive by there every time we go to Super Summer. Potter's House mega church pastor, Bishop T.D. Jakes, has issued... I want to be called Bishop, by the way, from now on. Can I do that? Uh, sure. Thanks. Uh, has issued a response... So we'll have three shepherds and a bishop. <laughs> has uh, issued a response... March shepherd. Yes. <laughs> has issued a response to a bizarre incident that unfolded the church Fort Worth location last week. It all unfolded when a church volunteer named Audrey Stevenson got into a confrontation with an elder while trying to get onto stage to help with something service-related. After being told she was not authorized to uh, access the stage, she was evidently brought to a church office by a church Sorry, security, security officer. Yes. While there, the three got into a heated exchange. That the exchange was caught on a video that has now been viewed by 3.6 million times. The church safety officer ended up handcuffing Stevenson and refused to let her leave the office. Jakes has released a statement. He said, in part, while many of the extenuating circumstances are not shown in the video that was published March 25th, This still does not justify the lack of professionalism exhibited by the safety officer we require and expect from all of our employees. Emotions quickly escalated and a complete breakdown of communication occurred, resulting in what played out in video. I'm extremely disappointed. I apologize for how Miss Stevenson was treated and the ill conduct she received. Privately, we will be reaching out to Miss Stevenson to offer her apology, the apology she rightly deserves. In other words, money, probably. Yeah. <laughs> he also added, effective immediately, we'll I have ordered her the, the hush money she deserves. Right. I have ordered a policy review with all the safety officers to ensure, ensure the de- delicate situations like these are handled appropriately. Wouldn't it be crazy to have a church that big that you have to have security officers with handcuffs? I know. Wow. Isn't that nuts? I can't even... I don't know. I just can't wrap, that. wrap my head around it very well. According to a new Barna research, roughly half of American churchgoers don't know the term the Great Commission. Hmm. We need to change our uh, network name, <laughs> a- according to this article. Oh, really? Great Commission transition, right? Yeah, yeah. All right. To be a Christian is to be invited to work with God on a project, but apparently about half of American church attendees are unaware. The mission to which Christians are invited is found in Matthew 28, just before Jesus ascends to heaven. Uh, You know, it's therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I command you. Surely I'm with you always in the end of the age. 
It's called the Great Commission now before all church chermungans jump up with an I told you so's about biblical literacy and widespread uh, deficiencies in the system of discipleship. It is important to note that unfamiliar unfamiliarity with the term does not necessarily equal widespread ignorance of its content, <laughs> whether or not Christians know that God expects Christians to make disciples is a subject for another study. This particular study could simply convey the term the Great Commission is being used less. The report found that younger Christians, millennials, uh, for instance, were far less likely to correctly identify the Great Commission than previous generations. On the other hand, another Barna-affiliated organization called ACFI reported that the number of churches that equip the members for evangelism is on decline. Is there a correlation here? Is the decline of familiarity with the Great Commission a symptom of a larger problem? Hmm. Hmm. That's kind of sad when you think about it. Yep. Kind of scary, too. I don't know. Evangelicism is kind of... Jellycism? Falling to the wayside, anyways. All right, I got some Apopa news. Oh, yes! Brothers and sisters, come together. I'll let it go a little longer. <laughs> you did. <laughs> All right, here we go. Um, I was jonesing for some pop. <clears throat> I don't know if you've heard about this big scandal, whether or not the Pope said that there was really no hell this past Oh, weekend. I did hear that. All right, well, let's read about the whole thing. In a new okay. interview with Pope Francis <clears throat> by his friend Edwino Scalfari, who is an atheist, mm. that was just published in the paper La Repubblica, is causing a major stir. It is reported in the purported exchange, Safari asked this question to the Pope. Your Holiness, in our previous meeting, you told me that our species will disappear in a certain moment and that God, still out of his creative force, will create new species. You have never spoken to me about the souls who died in sin and will go to hell to suffer it for eternity. You have, however, spoken to me of good souls amid to the uh, contemplation of God. But what about bad souls? Where are they punished? The Pope reportedly said, They are not punished. Those who uh, repent obtain the forgiveness of God and enter the rank of souls who contemplate Him. But those who do not repent and cannot therefore be forgiven disappear. There isn't, so he's in a... Uh, annihilationist. There is no hell. There is the disappearance of sinful souls. Mm. This would make Pope Francis an annihilationist and would serve as a major departure from hundreds of years of Catholic teaching. It should be noted that Scalafari, who has interviewed the Pope before, has an interesting interview style. He doesn't record the conversations, but instead reconstructs them afterwards. That's kind of dangerous. The Vatican has released a statement that doesn't deny the Pope's comments, but merely underscores that it might not be an exact quote. The Holy Father Francis recently received the founder of the newspaper La Repubblica in a private meeting on the occasion of Easter without, however, giving him any interviews. What is reported by the author in today's article is the result of his reconstruction, in which the textual words pronounced by the Pope are not quoted. No quotation of the aforementioned article must therefore be considered as a faithful transcript of the words of the Holy Father. In other words, 
Oops. Yeah, we don't. I said that, but I didn't mean it. But I didn't mean it. So yeah. this has caused quite a lot of stir amongst Catholics and amongst Protestants as to where the Pope really stands on this idea of hell and annihilationism. And or in, even even the Catholic uh, theology around um, purgatory. Purgatory. All right. So uh, this could be a very developing story. We'll see what how the Pope responds to it because he's not going to get away with that and then not having to, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Rebuttal it. So uh, be watching the Pope pretty quickly, very closely, and see what happens. Very interesting. Yeah, it is. So that's all I got, man. That's all? That's all my news. Where's the scripts? Right here. All right, let's roll on this We ready for this? Yes, I think so. Okay. Another Easter in the books. Da-da-da. Where's my button? What? The Theonauts are part of the Great Commission Transmission Network, using new media and social networking to go into all the world and proclaim the good news to everyone. To find out more, go to gctnetwork.com. Subscribe to the newsletter, stay up to date with all of our shows, including Finding Christ in Cinema and the Secret Fire Podcast. Listen to our website at theonautspodcast.com for show notes and outlines. Listen to us on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, or your favorite podcast catcher. Be sure to rate us because that helps us reach a larger audience. I like how you said listen to our website. Did I say listen? Listen closely. It will speak to you. (laughs) There are several ways you can contact us and leave us feedback. Send us email to theonauts at gctnetwork.com or call us on our voicemail line, 972-885-7270. Tweet to us on Twitter using at Theonautical. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash theonauts. If you like the Theonauts and want even more, drop us a buck or two at patreon.com slash theonauts. Your patronage helps us in our expenses like hosting fees and equipment costs. Don't forget to tune in again and explore the vast reaches of God's Word with us. All right, Jeremiah. Thanks for being here, brother. Thank you, David Getty. This has been the Theonauts Podcast. Call us with your questions or comments at 972-885-7270. That's 972-885-7270. Love to hear from you. You are tuned in to the GCT Network. This is your Great Commission. This is your Great Commission Transmission. At GCTNetwork.com. This is your Great Commission Transmission. This is your Great Commission Transmission. What's that? Oh, look, it's Jesus. He said, stop it!